Uh, good morning. My name is Jim Beckman. The scripture reading today comes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. I'll be reading from chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 and 13 to 14, and then in chapter 5, verse 2. Please hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. This is how you are to deal with those who sin unintentionally by doing anything that violates one of the Lord's commands. If the high priest sins, bringing guilt upon the entire community, he must give a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He must present to the Lord a young bull with no defects. If the entire Israelite community sins by violating one of the Lord's commandments, but the people don't realize it, they are still guilty. When they come become aware of their sin, the people must bring a young bull as an offering for their sin and present it before the tabernacle. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that is ceremonially unclean, such as a carcass of an unclean animal. When you realize what you've done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. This is true whether it is a wild animal, a domestic animal, or an animal that scurries along the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, JB. Well, this is week two of our series on Leviticus and Lent, and a neat aspect of this series is that I'm preaching it in parallel to Pastor Brian Jacobson at First Presbyterian Oostburg, and so every single week, um, he and I are preaching the same text, and so if you want another voice on this series, um, go to oostburgfpc.org, and they have a worship section that you can click on, and then a service videos section, and you can get his sermons on the same passage um, in his own unique voice and everything. So there's two kind of takes um, on every single reading from the book of Leviticus, this series in Lent. Um, so I'd encourage you to be doing that. I told the story in Advent, so I'm not going to retell the story today, but the story of Chernobyl really fascinates me, this worst nuclear disaster that our world has ever seen. Um, and there's a specific part of the story that is just remarkable. It's, it's unbelievable that it's true. And that is that when the reactor blew... It threw all of these pieces of debris that comprised the walls of the core into the air, these pieces of graphite that were the walls of the nuclear core. And when it threw them into the air, now all that debris is raining down upon the roof of the reactor. So you have this highly reactive pieces of debris that are laying on the roof, and in order for them to seal off the disaster and put the sarcophagus over it that's on there today, they had to clear these pieces of debris off the roof back into the core of the exploded reactor. And at first, they tried to do this with robots, and they got some really expensive state-of-the-art robots that they airlifted down onto the roof of the reactor, and they were supposed to push that debris over the edge back into the core of the exploded reactor again, but the radiation levels were so high on that roof that the, that the robot promptly just shut down uh, and succumbed to the radiation poisoning and refused to operate. So the Soviet government, uh, in their wisdom, resorted to the next best thing, which is bio-robots. Humans uh, were actually drafted to shovel these pieces of debris off of the reactor roof. And the radiation levels on that roof were so high that the people shoveling this debris off of the roof were only allowed to work 90 seconds at a crack. because uh, 90 seconds total. Because in those 90 seconds, you would be exposed to a lifetime's quota, as it were, of radiation poisoning. 
So basically in that 90 seconds, you get the maximum exposure to all radiation in a lifetime that a human is supposed to take. All right. So there's a scene from Chernobyl's miniseries on HBO that aired last summer that ca captures these harrowing 90 seconds of these workers on the roof. So I'm going to show you that clip. When those workers are released out of the hole in the wall to go work on the roof, it is an actual real-life 90 seconds. Okay? This scene is an actual real-life 90 seconds, so you get a feel just for how short of an amount of time they were allowed to be on that roof. Let's watch. It's time to go. After 90 seconds, I will ring a bell. When you hear it return immediately, drop your shovels in the bin and proceed down the hallway for decontamination. Above all, while on the roof, throw your debris over the rail. Do not look over the rail. Is that clear? Very well. On my mark, ready, go. seconds, a lifetime's worth of radiation exposure on that roof. That's how intense the radiation levels were. And over the course of clearing the entire roof, 90 seconds at a crack, new wave of people, 90 seconds, it took over 3,800 people to get that roof cleared off of that debris. And I say all this because this was an extremely contaminated space. In fact, in the show, they're talking about the roof and they're saying it's the most dangerous place on earth at this time because it's so contaminated with radiation. And what those workers were doing is they are contaminating the space. They're getting rid of the radiation poisoning by shoveling those pieces of graphite that are actually the walls of the nuclear core. They're shoveling them off the roof into the reactor because they want to decontaminate the space. 
They are decontamination workers. And last week we saw how this book of Leviticus is all about decontaminating the space so that sinful humans can live in proximity to God. Leviticus answers the holiness question that how do this God who is so holy and so set apart and so perfect and humanity who are sinful and rebellious and fallen, how do those two entities live in proximity with one another? How do they share space together without dying? Humans have to share the space with God somehow because God wants to live with humans, but at the same time, sinful humans don't want to die in God's presence. God's presence is good. However, it's dangerous to sinful humans. Just like radiation can be, or the the nuclear power can be good, but when it gets out of hand, like at Chernobyl, it's very bad and dangerous. And that was dangerous for those workers. And today, we're dealing with an offering that in the headings of your Bible, if you look at Leviticus chapter 4 and 5, is labeled the sin offering. However, this is a misnomer. Scholars are almost universally agreed on this, that the sin offering is a bad name for this offering. It's a bad translation. A better translation is the decontamination offering. So today we are dealing with the decontamination offering in Leviticus. John Goldingay is a a scholar and a professor, and he did his own translation of the Old Testament, which is in the Bible for everyone. It's called the First Testament. And he did a very literal translation, so very word-for-word translation. And so here's how he translates uh, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 3. If the anointed priest does wrong and brings liability on the people for his wrong that he did, He's to present for Yahweh a bull from the herd, one that's whole as a decontamination. So he uses the word decontamination. Now look at verses 13 and 14. If the entire Yisraelite assembly makes a mistake and something escapes the eyes of the congregation and they do something in connection with any of Yahweh's orders about what should not be done and incur liability and the wrong that they did in connection with it becomes known, the congregation are to present a bull from the herd as a decontamination. So he is using this language of decontamination offering. And so today, we turn our attention specifically in the book of Leviticus to chapter 4 and 5, which concern themselves with the decontamination offering. How do we decontaminate this space so that humans can inhabit it along with God safely without dying? In the same way that the workers at the Chernobyl rooftop decontaminated the space This offering is a decontamination offering so that humans can be in God's space without dying. They can be in God's space safely. What the decontamination offering does is it essentially scrubs the space of decontamination so that humans can inhabit that space without dying. So this is a scrubbing of the temple, just like the roof was a removal of the contaminated debris. This is in some ways a scrubbing of the temple so that humans can be in God's space. And now we're back to the whole purpose of Leviticus. How do humans live in proximity with a God who is holy and set apart safely and without dying? The decontamination offering covers essentially two categories. The first category that it covers is is, well, we'll get to that in a second. Maybe I should back up. And I should say that the operative word in the decontamination offering is unintentional. Okay? That is an operative word. Now, I warned Jason Ziegler about this, but I'm about to have some fun at the expense of middle school boys. Okay? When I was a youth pastor before I came to Grace, you know, we'd go on retreats with middle schoolers. And it is a miracle how quickly middle school boys decontaminate a space. You know, we'd arrive to some sort of place and they'd go into their sleeping quarters and within an hour, that space was completely decontaminated. I mean, completely contaminated. 
I mean, you'd go into their room. First of all, you're greeted by the wall of smell. And then I always remember humidity, which I think emitted from their sweat, right? It was always humid in their rooms because they're just emitting moisture. And then there's empty Mountain Dew bottles on the floor, half-drunk Mountain Dew bottles on the nightstand because it's like they're literally throwing them back and roll over to go to sleep at night. Candy wrappers on the floor. I mean, it just is, it is literally a phenomenon how quickly they can contaminate a space. You all understand this. Now, when those middle school boys show up to the room, I, I do not think that they go, yeah, let's trash this place. All right, yeah, let's do that. And then they, you know, start trash. Like, they don't say that. Now, sometimes they do, but that's rare, okay? More often or not, they're just like, hey, our room. They just start throwing stuff. And, and it just, it, they just live, and it becomes contaminated, right? It's not like they intentionally do this. It's just how they are. They contaminate the space. It's not intentional. It's not necessarily wrong. They just contaminate it. It's just what they do, okay? So this offering, the decontamination offering, deals largely with unintentional things, okay? So I mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again now. So it covers two broad categories, okay? The first category that's covered is ceremonially, ceremonial impurity, or sometimes they also call this ritual impurity, okay? So let's look at Leviticus 5, verse 2. Or suppose you unknowingly, so there's that unintentional aspect, suppose you unintentionally or unknowingly touch something that is ceremonially unclean, such as the carcass of an unclean animal. Okay, so a carcass of an animal is considered unclean. If you touch it, you become ceremonially unclean. When you realize what you have done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. Now, again, defilement and guilt are hard translations for us because, again, we think intentional sin problem need to, like, say you're sorry. I guess not necessarily what we're dealing with here. This is true whether it is a wild animal, a domestic animal, or an animal that scurries along the ground. So a dead body or a dead carcass of an animal is considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. So if you come in contact with that, then you become ceremonially unclean and contaminated, as it were, so you cannot safely go into God's presence. When you come into contact with something dead, you cannot safely go into God's presence because you've become contaminated by that dead thing. It's not sinful. Happens under the course of daily life. It just is what happens, all right? In the same way, middle school boys... They just run all the time, and they're always looking for the next activity. I remember, you know, I'm just thinking about this. It's like uh, I, I went to a Christian middle school, so we, we didn't have these, but I heard that for the public school, middle school kids, when they would have a dance in the middle school, you know, like the cafeteria was empty, and they're all in the gym. <laughs> they're all running around shooting hoops, right? They're running around shooting hoops, and of course, what happens to middle school boys when they're running around shooting hoops? You sweat like crazy, right? And many of them don't have a regular bathing routine yet, okay? So middle school boys, just by being middle school boys, become sweaty and they give off B.O. and they become gross. And so it's nothing wrong. It's just what they do. It's just part of their daily life. But when this happens, you, do you want to be around them? No, it's like go bathe. Like you stink. Like this is all, like literally within a five-foot radius around you is uninhabitable space, because you stink so bad. Like, go bathe, take a shower, and then instead they just go spray Axon, right? right? They just become contaminated. It's just what they do. Not sinful, nothing wrong with it. It's just how they are, but no one wants to be near them, right? Ceremonial impurity is not sinful. 
It's going to happen over the course of everyday life. A family member is going to die. The body is going to have to be handled. People become ceremonially unclean. Women's menstrual cycles were considered unclean. You were ceremonially unclean when you were in the middle of that. It's going to happen. It's just part of life. Okay? Uh, birth, giving birth, you would become ceremonially unclean when you gave birth. Okay? When you procreated, a man would have an emission, and then you would become ceremonially unclean, dealing with these body fluids and discharges and things like that. It's kind of gross stuff, right? But it makes sense. It's gross, right? I don't want to be around that. It's gross. You become contaminated. Birth. Here's what you had to do for the offering to become ceremonially pure after you gave birth, okay? Here's the rules. Leviticus 5.7. But if you cannot afford to bring a sheep, you may bring to the Lord two turtle doves, or two young pigeons as the penalty for your sin. Again, penalty for your sin is hard language for us because we're thinking intentional infraction. That's not what we're dealing with here. One of the birds will be for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, okay? So that's, that's the requirement when you have birth and to be made ceremonially pure again. You could bring a sheep, but if you couldn't afford to bring a sheep, you bring two turtle doves, etc. Here's what happens to Mary and Joseph after they give birth to Jesus. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So what do Mary and Joseph do? They offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So again, nothing sinful. Mary giving birth to Jesus is not sinful. That's wonderful. But she is made ceremonially impure by giving birth, and so to follow the law, they went to Jerusalem and made the appropriate sacrifice so that she could be made ceremonially pure, ritually pure again. So you have these things like life and death, okay? A lot of these rituals, this ritual impurity, ritual purity, deals with things like life and death, okay? A menstrual cycle is like the lifeblood. Birth is giving life. A dead carcass is death. A dead body is death. So you have this theme of lifeblood, bodily fluids that are the life within you, life and death, which makes perfect sense because as we saw last week, God is holy and set apart because he is uniquely the author of life. God derives his set-apartness out of the fact that he is the only one who could author life. No one else could author life except God when he breathed out, his Holy Spirit breathed out and breathed creation into existence. That's why he's a set-apart one, because no one else can start being (laughs) except for God, because he always was, okay? Always is and always will be. You following me here? This point's critical. You understand why God derives his holiness and set-apartness, because he is the only one who could offer life. Therefore, we have this connection to life, and that's why we have this ritual purity, impurity, because it's connected to life, Nod your heads that I have some, like this point is critical. We're not going to get Leviticus unless we can understand that God is uniquely set apart because he's the unique author of life. Okay, thank you. I realize he's challenging us all this morning because we lost an hour of sleep. (laughs) And now we got to do Leviticus. (laughs) So it's a challenge for me too, y'all. Okay, so the decontamination offering covers Ritual impurity, things like touching dead bodies, it scrubs us of our contamination, it decontaminates us so that now we can be in God's presence safely and without dying, okay? Next category that the contamination offering covers, 
Again, here's that word, unintentional sins. Unintentional infractions. Okay? Look at Leviticus 4, 13 to 14. If the entire Israelite community sins by violating one of the Lord's commands, but the people don't realize it, again, unintentional, they still are guilty. When they become aware of their sin, the young people or the people must bring a young bull as an offering for their sin and present it before the tabernacle. If you are called, so, so you got that, that covers these unintentional sins, okay? The category of unintentional sins is covered by the decontamination offering. Again, things we don't realize, sins we commit without realizing it, okay? Also, this is going to cover things you should have done but didn't do, okay? Like sins of omission, okay? Look at Leviticus 5 verse 1. If you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify and you will be punished for your sin. So it covers unintentional infractions. It also covers infractions of omission, things you should have done but did not do. You should have testified, but you did not testify in court. Following me so far? Okay. Now we're going to skip over to Numbers. What Numbers is going to do is Numbers is going to rehash the decontamination offering, so it's going to be a lot of review. And then it's going to contrast the decontamination offering of unintentional sins with intentional sins, and then it's going to give us an example. Okay, so let's look at Numbers 15. Watch for the contrast. If one individual commits an unintentional sin, the guilty person must bring a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest will sacrifice it to purify the guilty person before the Lord, and that person will be forgiven. This same instructions apply both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. So, review, makes sense. Unintentional sin, you bring the decontamination offering, you're decontaminated. But now here's the contrast. But those who brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native-born native Israelites or foreigners, have blasphemed the Lord, and they must be cut off from the community since they have treated the Lord's word with contempt and deliberately disobeyed his command. They must be completely cut off and suffer the punishment for their guilt. Whew, okay. So unintentional sin versus brazen, intentional, rebellious sin. And now Numbers is going to give us an example right alongside that contrast of unintentional sin versus intentional, brazen, rebellious sin. One day, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they discovered a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. The people who found him doing, his, doing this took him before Moses, Aaron, and the rest of the community. They held him in custody because they did not know what to do with him. Then the Lord said to Moses, this man must be put to death. The whole community must stone him outside the camp. So the whole community took the man outside the camp and stoned him to death, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now you might think, whoa, that's really hard for us to read. Because it feels in many ways like the punishment did not fit the crime. Like the punishment was overly harsh for someone gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. However, this example comes right after the contrast between unintentional sin and re brazen rebellious sin. And so what this man was doing is this man knew better. He knew the law, and instead he said, forget you, God. I'm picking up my sticks anyway. I don't care about your Sabbath laws. I'm doing what I want to do regardless of what you say. Okay? It is an intentional rebellion. It is a middle finger to the Lord, if you will. It is a up yours to God is what this is dealing with. Uh, I know better, but I don't care. And can I say, screw you, God? This is a, this is a moment where someone, an individual is saying, screw you, God. I'm going to do what I want to do regardless. Okay? So here's how some translations 
treat this intentional rebellious sin. They call it high-handed sin. Okay, look at Leviticus, or no, sorry, Numbers 15.30, and this is how the ESV handles it. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. So this high-handed sin is a different category where an individual is basically saying, forget you, God, I'm doing what I want to do regardless. I read an article this week that I liked. It, really, it broke sin down into three categories. So in the first category, you have what the decontamination offering deals with, which is unintentional sins, okay? infractions that we create without knowing it, and then later on we might be like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have said that, or oh, I should not have done that, or oh, I forgot to do that, right? So unintentional sin is the first category. Then you have another category, which is intentional sin, okay? or we might call it conscious sin. And this would be sin where we know better, we're sinning, but we lost the battle in the weakness of our flesh, right? Temptation is coming. We know we're being tempted. We're fighting it. We know we don't want to go down that road, but in the end of the day, our flesh wins out, and we give in. And we're like, oh, you know, I, I really did not want to do that. Like, I, I, in hindsight, I should not have done that. I totally went with my temptation and my flesh in that moment, okay? You understand the difference? Then you get to this third category, which is this high-handed sin, which is rebellion where you know better, and you don't care. It's just like, forget you, God. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want regardless. That is a whole other category of sin, and that's the type of sin that Numbers is contrasting here. Unintentional versus high-handed, in-your-face, forget-you, middle-finger-to-the-Lord type sin. Okay? Now, here is something very disturbing and alarming that I had to look into when I heard it, because I'm like, is that really true? Okay. This is that I found out in my research. Very disturbing and alarming. There is no sacrifice that covers high-handed sin. Yeah, yep, that's exactly what I did. There is no sacrifice for intentional, high-handed, I should say deliberately intentional, high-handed sin. There's no sacrifice for this third category, which is why it's translated cut off. What's the, what's the payment for high-handed sin? They must be cut off. Now, in the case of the man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, he was cut off from the people and from his life. In other cases, you might have people that are sent away from the community that are exiled and say, you can't live here anymore. You've done something that's so bad that you cannot live amongst us anymore. Like, for instance, when I was listening to a podcast on this, um, there's no sacrifice for first-degree homicide. There's no sacrifice for intentional murder. Now, there's cities of refuge for uh, manslaughter, but there's no sacrifice for first-degree murder in the Old Testament, which is why you must be cut off. Okay? I could not believe this. It's extremely uh, unnerving, which is why we appreciate Jesus' sacrifice all the more. When we realize that in the Old Testament there was no sacrifice, no solution, no covering for high-handed, intentionally rebellious sin, wow. And now I look at Christ's sacrifice and I say, wow, knowing the difference between the sacrificial system and Jesus, that makes me appreciate Jesus all the more. When I got into music, Cassette tapes were the dominant format for music. And you all know, these are absolutely terrible. It's like the world said, you know, records are awesome. 
let's start to screw this up and get cassette tapes, which sound worse and wreck easier. You got to get your pencil out and twist the tape back into there. You know, it sounds worse. Plus, navigation is much harder. What's so hard about, oh, I see the strips on the record. I set my needle down right at the track that I want, and it begins. No, it's a cassette tape. Okay, I'm on track number four. I want to get to track number eight. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, play. Nope, not there yet. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, play. Nope, not there yet. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, play. I overshot it. Rewind, 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 play. Okay, I'm at the end of the previous song, so I'll just deal with the end of the previous song and let it transition into the song I really want to listen to. Now I want to go to track two. That's on the other side. Flip the cassette over. Fast forward, fast forward. Nope, should have gone the other way. Rewind, rewind, rewind. Whoever sold this on the public was brilliant. It was a worse solution, and they mass-produced it. I gotta stop. I could go off on this forever, so I gotta stop. <laughs> Leave that there. So, when I got my first CD player, I bought it used off of my aunt. Okay? This was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. You could just look at the track list on the back, and if you wanted track eight, you hit skip, 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 and you watch the number indicator. It even tells you what track you're on. You don't have to wait and stop and listen. It's right there, track number eight, and the music quality is amazing, and boom, it starts up. I want to go back to the beginning of the song. No rewind. Skip one button press, and I'm back to the beginning of the song. <laughs> no. My first CD. I'm almost... Was Kenny G the moment? <laughs> ah! <laughs> I had just heard him, like, you know, on some, ra uh, you know, I was probably at a store. And I'm like, oh, that's not bad. <laughs> Kenny G the moment. I still remember that first track, getting my keyboard out, like, playing along. I think I got this bass line down on the keyboard. So, oh, my word. Yikes. It gets better, middle schoolers. It gets better. Um, but, you know, it's just amazing. I could just skip the track. Just go right to the track that I want to go to. Oh, BMG Music Club. Now I got more CDs. And now I can just skip right to the track. But I don't appreciate CDs unless I've lived with cassettes. I don't appreciate CDs unless I've had to fast forward and rewind and flip cassette tapes over all my life. Right? CDs is like amazing. And now today, you know, it's like CDs, those things are junk. You know, like we have Spotify, which is literally everything we want, whenever we want it, wherever we want it. Right? You just stream it. All right? Uh, and if you have an ad blocker on your browser, you don't have to listen to ads. Um, so anyway, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you just don't appreciate it unless you've had to grow up with cassettes. You don't appreciate CDs unless you've grown up with cassettes. And we don't appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus unless we appreciate the sacrificial system and look at that thing and say, oh my goodness, no sacrifice for high-handed, intentionally rebellious sin? Jesus is so much better in appreciating the sacrificial system. We appreciate Christ all the more. It's one thing to say Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, but that hardly means anything unless we see what he improved upon. So he is, first of all, better because he covers everything. Look at 1 John 1, 7. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, 
Then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In Jesus, we have a sacrifice that covers all sin. People on death row can be forgiven in Christ Jesus. You know, it's funny. I even was coming up with an example of high-handed sin from our culture. And I'm like, I don't even want to do that because this woman could be forgiven in Jesus. And I don't want to just lift up her sin as if it's like somehow she's worse than me. Because I've done high-handed sin. I'm guilty of high-handed sin. I'd be cut off. In the Old Testament, Bill Overvalde would be cut off. But now I have a perfect sacrifice in Jesus who covers all sin. (laughs) I wasn't going to say this, but I'll just say it anyway. Whatever. It's an hour late. I'll just say it. I was calling a friend this week. He's a new pastor at a church in California. We went through undergrad together, so we keep up. And I was calling him this week and talking to him about how it's going. And somehow we got on the judgment, you know, at the end of time. And, um, and I said, you know, sometimes I kind of wish, because that's going to be a long thing. Like when I get up there on that stand, it's like, okay, let's open the scroll of Bill Bervelli's sins. And it just you know, flies like forever in both directions, you know. And it's like, yep. And then, you know, everyone gets to see how crappy of a human being I really am. Um, and I thought, you know, Seth, I, uh, his name's Seth, I'm like, I wish I could have like a midpoint in my life where I could like, like at 40, you kind of get like the first judgment covers the first 40 years of your life, so you can get that taken out of the way. So then like when you get, you know, in the eternity, it's like, okay, I already got the first 40 years taken care of, so I only have like 40 more years, you know, to take care of. So we got that covered, you know, all that stuff. So, and then my buddy says this, he said, no, because if you had that, then you would spread, spend the rest of your life depressed knowing what Jesus is, is uh, putting his stake on in your life, like what he considers to be his metrics, you know, like what he's, what he's measuring in your life. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a good point, right? What I, what I say on this is that scroll that's, that's going to go on forever, it's going to go on forever, and everyone's going to see, yep, listen, you know. And then, um, but then at the end of it all, Jesus steps in and he does away with that scroll. He says, yeah, I got this covered. All of this is covered in me. Because everyone's going to see all of me and all of my faults. And you're going to go, oh, my goodness. Ugh. And Christ will come in and say, yeah, I even took care of that. I even took care of that. All sin. He is the perfect sacrifice. I'll just repeat what Jason read. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. This is the decontamination offering. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Holy Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He's the perfect sacrifice. This decontamination offering that purifies us of all of our sin, not just unintentional sin, not just ceremonial impurity, but high-handed, rebellious sin. Those workers at Chernobyl were purifying the space by removing the decontamination, and Christ removes all of the decontamination, regardless of how bad. And lastly, Christ is the perfect sacrifice, the superior sacrifice, because in the decontamination offering, the blood was applied to the space. The blood was applied to the temple. Look at this. The priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense. That is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So the priest is applying the blood of the sacrifice to the space 
because we're clearing the space, just like the workers of Chernobyl were picking up those pieces of graphite with their shovels and throwing them over the edge. They're purifying the space. But in Jesus, where is our blood applied? Not to the space. It's applied to the new temple. Who's the new temple? We are. We are the new temple. The blood is not applied to the space. The blood is applied to us. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us, the new temple of all sin. It's no longer applied to the space. It's applied to the new temple. The new temple is us. This is why we have a perfect sacrifice in our son, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen.